0: Welcome to episode five of the Emergency goalies Now this would be the time I normally uh, Kick it to Michael to do A recap of these, this Week's games but We had a pretty big development Tuesday morning uh, Joel Quinnville Was fired after Ten years as head coach of the Blackhawks after a really Rough three game Road trip to Canada So um, I guess Michael We can just start it off with you can go over the road trip a little bit and kind of tie it into the stuff with a uh, getting fired.
1: Yeah. So like you said, it was a, a rough road trip for the team uh, culminated in, uh, well, I, I guess it closed out a five game losing streak uh, to end uh, coach Q's tenure with the Blackhawks started off in Vancouver, didn't uh, start off on the right foot in that uh, Patrick Kane was out sick, missed that game. And uh, the the Hawks actually did pretty okay at the beginning of the game. Uh, they did take a 2-1 lead. They were moving the puck pretty well. But uh, as the game progressed, the Canucks started uh, playing a little better and Ended up scoring three unanswered goals to close out the game, which has been a common theme throughout the season, and is a scenario that would play out uh, again a few a few nights later in Calgary. Uh, but before the Flames game, uh, the Hawks visited Edmonton, where they were shut out by Miko Koskinen. Koskinen. Uh, who put up 40 saves? It was a pretty good performance by the Blackhawks, but not not terrible. Uh, it was it was a goalie win. Um, they did outshoot the Oilers by a fairly large margin. Uh, however, the opportunities that the Oilers did get tended to be uh, very high quality, and they capitalized on it. Whereas the Blackhawks were obviously unable to capitalize in, in any form. Uh, Kane did return in that game, uh, but uh, didn't make much of a difference. Oh, and I, I, I did forget to mention in the Canucks game, uh, they also uh, Quenville benched Nick Schmaltz, uh, which when you're already missing your best playmaker in Kane, it's probably not a wise idea to also scratch your second best playmaker probably or second or third best playmaker and so that obviously didn't uh, work out well and then uh so following the canucks game both of those guys were back in the lineup but uh kane was probably not at 100 percent, and schmaltz didn't have a particularly good game either um but i i have a feeling the uh q scratching schmaltz did not sit well with uh The front office, probably. And then uh, they went on to play the Flames. And the game uh, could not have gone worse at the beginning. Uh, It was just a few minutes into the game. Duncan Keith uh, took a game misconduct, uh, got tossed out of the game, uh, gave the Flames. So the the Hawks were down to five defensemen Mm -hmm. and gave the the Flames a five-minute uh, power play. And that may have been the last straw for Q cause, uh, it was not a good look when after the five minute power or the five minute penalty kill, I guess for the Blackhawks ended, uh, they couldn't actually put another guy out, back out on the ice and actually had to kill the penalty for seven minutes or so, give or take a few seconds.
0: Yeah. Uh, that's, uh, what I was going to explain that a lot of people might not understand. Um, when you have a five-minute power play or penalty kill, you have to put someone else in the box because you know Duncan Keith was ejected. Right. But sometimes teams don't put guys in the box the first couple minutes of
1: the right. Yeah, they usually wait for you know. I I, I guess it depends. I I've, most of the time I see they actually do put somebody in right away, but I have seen where you know they wait till there's a whistle or whatever, and um, then decide who to put in. I don't understand why you'd really do that just because most teams have a limited number of penalty killers anyway. So why not just throw whoever in there that, you know, isn't going to be out there.
0: Yeah. and It was one of those things that like, like, cause there's a risk that there's no whistle for that five minutes. And in this case, there was no whistle in that five minutes to put a guy in. So then they couldn't have a the guy There in. actually was one whistle,
1: but they didn't put anybody in there. I think there was a whistle like two
0: minutes into the penalty kill. I want to say, Oh, if okay, that makes correct. it. Yeah. So that makes yeah. it even worse.
1: Yeah. So I mean there was still like a th- I think there were still 2 or 3 minutes at the end of the penalty kill where there was no whistle, but yeah, it just it, it was a terrible coaching gaffe, just completely, you know, like I said, it it looked bad.
0: Oh yeah, what am, what am what am I thinking? Of course there's a whistle cuz the Flames scored halfway through the power play. That's right, they did, yes,
1: yeah, yeah, so they did they
0: they did score one goal,
1: and then, uh, yeah, um I think it was Taves and uh, Debrincat. I think was paired up with him, uh, they got stuck out there for oh, a good minute, minute, and a half, uh at the end of the penalty kill, and then um. As the penalty kill extended beyond the five minutes, they probably got stuck out there for another minute, uh, struggling to get the puck out of their end. And I think eventually, I don't remember, somebody iced it or I think we got it out to the neutral zone and then they just fired it into the into the uh, stands on purpose just to get a whistle. Um, so yeah, uh, well, despite that, the Blackhawks had act- actually built a three to one lead. Um, however, it was sort of, a, a a flip of the Edmonton game where the flames were carrying the play. Um, obviously the, their long power play helped build up a shot advantage and then, uh, um, and the, the the Hawks were able to bury a couple of their chances early in the game. Uh, so they were winning three to one. But then, uh, as I alluded to earlier, um, Hawks were not able to hold on to that lead. Um, of course, the loss of your number one defenseman for pretty much the entirety of the entire game, <laughs> the entirety of the entire game, for the entirety of the game, uh, you know, forced the Hawks to work with five defensemen and uh, that eventually caught up to them. Uh, Brent Seabrook, I want to say played a ridiculous amount of time, which is probably not the way you want to utilize Brent Seabrook at this point in his career. And the flames ended up coming back with four unanswered goals and and won the game five to three. And, you know, like I said, it was a very bad looking game Uh, at the end of, well, at at the end of a five-game losing streak uh, to uh, close out Q's tenure, as we would learn a couple of days later. So, yeah, it was not a successful road trip in any way, shape, or form, and uh, the team uh, made the decision to move on without Quinville.
0: Yeah, and that's... That's what they did on Tuesday morning. And, you know, I guess we should talk about... We'll talk about uh, the new coach, um, mm-hmm. who Collighton. I can't... I'm going to have to learn how to say his name.
1: Uh, Collighton, I believe. Okay, Collatin. Yeah.
0: But before we get into uh, Jeremy Collighton, we'll, we'll talk about the, Quindle, the end of the Quindle era. And, I mean, I guess, you know, after last year, we kind, you kind of felt like maybe... They brought him back, but he kind of felt like, you know, if things didn't go great to start this year, would he be the fall guy? And, you know, uh, Mark Lazarus Lazarus of um, The Athletic wrote, like, you know, he took a, wrote a very pro Quenville article, you know, kind of saying that, like, he was kind of a victim of what Scott, um, Stan and, in a lesser extent, Scotty Bowman had put together the in recent years, and he was more of the fall guy. But uh, what were your thoughts on?
1: Yeah, um, that was – um, Lazarus was definitely the guy pushing that, uh, narrative the most. Uh, but, uh, it was certainly, he was certainly not the only one. Um, obviously Quenville, um, you know, deserves a lot of recognition for what he's done for the organization. Uh, he was the right coach at the right time for them, um, You know it's unfortunate that he's going out in a similar uh, in a similar uh, method to how he came in, where the team fired uh, Denny Savard after I think it was four games um, back in two thousand and nine, and replaced him with Q. Um, And so Quenville, what what are we like twelve games in this year? Still pretty early. Um, I you know I would like to say I I think. Quenville probably deserved better than that. Uh, I would have preferred they've handled this sort of thing in the off season, whether it had been this past off season or the upcoming one. Um, but you know, at the same time team wasn't performing, we were seeing a lot of the same flaws that we've seen for quite some time. Uh, you know, part of that is the roster, um, which, you know, certainly uh, falls on Bowman. But, um, you know, the, the continual struggle with the special teams, especially the power play, some of the curious lineup decisions and the timing of such things, um, some lack of communication a little bit, um, you know, but uh, great coach. I I do think the message was probably wearing a little thin and uh, I, I don't really have a problem with the move. Um, I mean, Quenville lasted 10 years, which is an eternity for a head coach in any sport, you know, even a, even a hall of fame one, like Quenville, eventual hall of fame coach like Quenville, um, you know, a decade, is a very, very long time for a coach. Um and as far as the Bowman's uh and whether or not the Hawks should have cleaned house there, um there certainly is as as strong of a case to have moved on from the Bowmans as there was to move on from Quenville. Uh however there certainly seems like uh McDonough and Morts have always you know, had a lot of respect for the Bowmans and have have, have been in their corner. Um, and uh, you know, I think a lot of people forget that because Quenville has been around for so long. Uh, that was actually Talon's hire. Um, although uh, Stan was certainly involved in that decision. I know they've talked a lot. Uh, I think the Athletic had something over the off season where. Um, They had kind of talked about the transition from uh, Savard to Quenville and how that all came about. And uh, it certainly sounded like it was a a group decision between Talon and Bowman and McDonough and uh, a couple other people. Um, But, yeah, uh, you know, that said, Quenville, despite his success, was, you know, sort of inherited uh, by Bowman when he took over. And uh, you generally don't fire a general manager without giving a general manager the chance to hire his own coach. And um, I think when the Blackhawks hired Colleton to coach the AHL team last year, uh, it did start a countdown. It was pretty obvious right from the get-go that he was the heir apparent. And um, it was only a matter of time... Um, before
0: uh,
1: he replaced Quenville
0: Um,
1: but uh,
0: I was going to add too that um, you know some people you know you kind of forget it over the years especially with like recent like where they'd won they won two cups later but you forget about the tensions were really bubbling through like after they'd won the first cup because I was reading that article and I'd forgotten about the whole Barry Smith uh, Mm -hmm. situation with the which I'll explain to some of the people, uh, there's a power play, I want to say power play guru is what how he was described, but Barry Smith was an assistant coach who's, you know, a power play specialist that the Bowmans tried to kind of force onto Quenville's staff and he was not happy about having him on the staff and he was gone within a year, but it's interesting to note that Barry Smith was immediately hired back under the coaching staff after Quenville was fired, so... That was interesting. Yeah,
1: yeah. Smith has uh, um, was a longtime assistant with Scotty Bowman, um, and when Scotty Bowman was coaching in the NHL, and then Smith went on to be a head coach himself, and uh, he's been with the the Blackhawks organization for quite a while, um, mostly in a front office capacity. He's kind of been, I don't, know, I don't want to say the right hand man. But, you know, whenever they've kind of wanted an extra set of eyes somewhere, whether it be in the scouting department or, um, you know, to go over to Europe to look at some players like Panarin and give a final assessment before they sign them, that sort of thing, draft prospects. Uh, Smith always seems to be somebody that is tasked with – you know, giving, a, a thumbs up. I, and, and, I think he was probably pretty, um, I, he was probably pretty instrumental in the decision to go after Colleton last year and bring him in as the AHL coach. Um, but, uh, yeah. So yeah, I want to say when, cause it would have been after the first cup, like you were saying, I, I can't remember the exact timing, but, uh, they fired, um, Um, one of Quenville's assistants, I want to say. Yeah, I can't remember it was
0: like Mike Kitchen or somebody. No,
1: because Kitchen got fired last year. Yeah, he got fired last year. Yeah, it was before that. Yeah, I can't remember if they fired somebody or somebody moved on for another opportunity, and the Bowmans kind of foisted Smith onto the um, staff to try, you know, like you said, hopefully to fix the power play, which, you know, as we've talked about has been a constant struggle under Q. Um, and I can understand Quenville's frustration with that. It's, you know, he wants to have his own guys that he trusts. And, uh, I'm sure he felt like Smith was probably reporting back to the Bowman's behind his back sort of thing. Um, you want your coaching staff to be on the same page so I can, I can understand his frustrations there. Um, but you know, we've heard of tensions, Throughout, Um, there's been talk, you know, a couple of years ago that that Quenville was going to be fired. Um, I want to say after the – when they got bounced by Phoenix a few years back. Um, And then we heard last year um, prior to the season, uh, the the draft uh, was actually – you know, a big turning point for them. That was the day that Bowman traded uh, Panarin uh, to reacquire Saad and uh, then traded Jalmerson uh, in the in the Murphy deal. And there was a lot of talk that when Quenville found out about, especially the Jalmerson trade that uh, he stormed out of the the building that uh, that draft actually took place at the United Center. Um and uh so um you know the, the whole organization was there, and apparently it was um that was quite a a sticking point uh was uh Quinville uh did not want to lose Joel Emerson, but Bowman was trying to um you know turn over the roster, get him a little bit younger and You know, I think especially on the back end, I think they've butted heads a little bit with the type of player that they want to bring in. you know, we saw um, with Trevor Daly a couple of years ago where uh, Bowman was pretty keen to acquire him uh, in the Patrick Sharp trade. And, you know, just from the very beginning, it seemed like Quenville just had no use for him. Didn't trust him. And, uh, you know, to be honest, I didn't actually think Trevor Daly played all that well for the Blackhawks. But, um, you know, he requested a trade within like 10 days or 10 games or so. And eventually they did um, accommodate him. But then, you know, of course he went on to uh, win a Stanley Cup with the Penguins as a top four defenseman from them them. And then, you know, last year, then we saw kind of a similar situation with uh, Michael Kempney, who was in and out of the lineup under Q for quite some time. And again, you know, there were some flaws in his game. And I can see some of the frustrations that Quenville had with him. But at the same time, uh, the Blackhawks weren't exactly uh, overflowing with defensemen. And... Some of the guys that he was playing over Kempney were, in my opinion, ridiculous decisions. Um, There pretty much should have been no reason to ever have Kempney out of the lineup last year, uh, considering the other defensemen we were capable of rolling out there. So I I do think there was probably some philosophical differences between the two in the type of players that they wanted. Um, And uh, I, I think... I really think if uh, if Crawford had not gotten injured last year, um, if the Blackhawks would have missed the playoffs with Crawford healthy, I think they would have moved on from Quinnville in the offseason. But I think they kind of felt that, you know, the goaltending situation completely disintegrating in the second half of the year, that uh, they owed Q the opportunity to try and. You know, get the team back on track, but, uh,
0: you know. Well, you also get the sense that, um, you know, it was one of those things where it was like that when you finally would move on from anyone, like for management and stuff, you know, the ownership especially, that's kind of saying we're going on from this era. We're leaving this championship era, which, you know, for all intents and purposes, might be over anyway, but the actual step of actually Byron Quimbo, like, brings that really home, but this is probably the end of this window. Right. And, you know,
1: in, in some ways the, uh, you know, whether or not Bowman uh, should have suffered the same fate, you know, you can bring in a new coach and potentially expect different results, with the situation of the Blackhawks um, Salary uh, Well Salary uh, Constraints and, and roster construction With the number of No, no movement clauses um, You know With a very expensive core um, I think it would be a very difficult Situation to bring in A new GM and say Hey we want you to You know Put your own team out there but sorry, you can't actually move these five guys making 60% of the salary cap. Um, I think that would have been a very difficult situation to put a new GM in. Um, Whereas, um, you know, you don't have quite that same hurdle with a coach. And, hey, maybe, you know, you get the little bit of a um, new coach bump, you know, new voice, sometimes it uh, motivates the guys out on the ice and, you know, maybe it's enough to propel the Blackhawks, you know, back into playoff contention. Or if not, you know, like I said, kind of a new era, maybe a start of the rebuild a little bit, even though it's going to be, it's nearly impossible for the Blackhawks to rebuild um, simply because of the money tied up in those core players. But yeah, um, I'm cautiously optimistic. Uh, Everything you hear about Colleton is what you want to hear. You know, Uh, I mean, he's incredibly young, uh, the youngest coach in the NHL by like a decade. And he's actually younger than three or four players on the team and he's the same age as Brent Seabrook and used to actually played with him in World Juniors and also some youth tournaments when they were, like, 10 or 11.
0: Uh Yeah, and the the buzz about him is pretty good. I mean, from what you – like, all the people that played for him really like him. Well, I mean, the IceHogs made it to the uh, semifinals almost to the championship in the AHL, and I can't remember the last time they did that, so. Right, yeah, I mean –
1: he, his playing career ended, uh, when he was 29, um, mostly due to injury. Uh, he had been a second round pick, um, back in the same draft as Seabrook and Crawford, uh, of the New York Islanders. And he did make the NHL. Uh, but I, uh, he only played like 60 games or something like that. Um, and then spent most of his career in, in Europe, but, uh, battled a lot of injuries and it it finally caught up to him and at the age of 29 but uh he was somebody that was well respected as a player um and uh the team owner I guess for the team that he was playing over in Sweden um and the general managers there um really felt that he had a, a chance as a coach and he ended up taking over as an interim coach during the for, for like a the third a third division team and in, in Sweden. Um, and for those of people that aren't familiar with European hockey, uh, well, at least the Swedish league, um, it's kind of handled the same way as uh, like European soccer, where there's relegation and um, different tiers of leagues, and um, teams can move up and down. And uh, he took over a third, a, a third uh, division team uh, that, you know, from what I understand, is historically uh, pretty poor. Just because um, their revenue streams aren't very much, and we're never really able to field a competitive team. And over the course of a couple of seasons, uh, he built them up into a powerhouse at that uh, level, and. You know, eventually steered them to um, the best record in that uh, uh, in that tier. And uh, they moved up that allowed that that team to move up into uh, the next level uh, the following year and just really built up a good buzz. And, you know, like like we were saying, just well respected by the players, the owners management and uh, the Blackhawks took notice of it. Uh, and despite being, I think it was 32, he was 32 when the Blackhawks hired him last year uh, to take over Rockford. Um, and Rockford was um, middling for most of the season. Uh, it was a pretty tough job in that uh, most of the Blackhawks, good young players were being summoned up to Chicago Um pretty regularly as they, you know, was the team was looking for answers. And then, uh, also not just, you know, with their forwards and defensemen, but with, you know, the injury to Crawford and then eventually the injury to, uh, Forsberg, um, you know, the Blackhawks were taking Jeff Glass and J.F. Berube and Connor, uh, Dahlia. And so, um, you know, the Rockford was having to deal with cycling through goalies just as much as the Blackhawks were. Uh, But then eventually they did uh, um, bring in some uh, veteran reinforcements for Rockford, which is generally something the Blackhawks have not really done. Um, But I think they saw some value in not just giving Colleton, you know, a good team that uh, it would get him some more playoff experience, but also for the younger Rockford players you know they sent back down uh, Victor Edsel and Dylan Secura, uh after they had finished the regular season with the Blackhawks uh, they sent them down to Rockford so that those guys could play in the um, playoffs and uh, so yeah you know like you said that team went on um,
0: well and also if you believe in the, um, the theory that you were kind of that they're He was a coach in waiting, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah, And the idea of adding players to help him get some playoff experience would make more sense.
1: Right. And I I think that was always the intention. Now, whether or not they intended for him to take over quite so soon, I think is probably up for debate. I think everybody probably expected Q to at least finish this year. But, you know, I kind of wonder if some of the – Other coaching changes in the NHL maybe got the Blackhawks spooked a little bit that uh, somebody might try and swoop in and take Colleton at some point. Um, I I, I haven't actually heard any concrete rumors on that, that somebody had tried to do that. But I, I wonder if that sort of played into it a little bit that, you know, hey, things weren't going well in Chicago and, it was probably time to move on from Q, but um, you know the Kings had just fired a coach. There's a couple other situations where coaches might get fired, and uh, I, I just wonder if you know the Blackhawks were just like, hey, you know, we had this, we've had this guy for you know only for a year, but you know they obviously like him, and you know, so I'm I'm curious to see you know, how it goes. I didn't really watch much of Rockford last year. I probably only caught a few of their games. Um, but it seems, it seems he runs a pretty similar system to Quenville. Actually. I don't, I don't think you're going to see a whole lot of changes, um, from some of the things that he said in the last couple of days. Um, he's really big on the team playing fast. Um, And especially on the defensive end, a lot of the guys have talked, um, you know, a lot of the Blackhawks players have played for Colleton over the last year. You know, like somebody like uh, Eric Gustafson was down in Rockford to begin last year. And he talked about how differently um, Colleton was to, uh, to their previous coach in Ted Dent um, and how much, more similar he is to how the way they wanted, uh, how Quenville wanted the the defenseman to play as far as uh, closing gaps as soon as possible and breaking up plays, you know, at the blue line or even before and having those guys step up and, you know, try and keep the other team from even establishing possession in the zone and then get the puck heading back up the opposite way as quickly as possible and just playing up tempo all the time. Um, you know, it, it's something where, you know, I, I've talked about it a couple of times with Gustafson, uh, throughout this year is playing, um, confident, but not stepping over the edge into stu- stupidity or, you know, overly aggressive. You you, you want to make, you want to make it as difficult for the opposition as possible Take away their time and space as much as possible, um, without exposing yourself to undue risk. And that seemed to be kind of a message that uh, multiple players un, uh, with experience under him had kind of talked about. Is that that's kind of the edge that he wants players to play at—very aggressive, but not stupid. Don't 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 go over that line. So. I'm kind of curious to see how that's going to, to uh, go over. Uh, I think the young players for sure will probably be, be okay with it. Uh, And like I said, a lot of them have already played for him. Um, I, I, it sounds like that'll mesh fine with guys like Taves and, uh, but I'm kind of curious on, uh, you know, maybe somebody like Seabrook uh, or uh, Saad, um, where that maybe not so much Seabrook um, efforts not really has, has never really been much of an issue with, with Seabrook Um, more just foot speed. (laughs) Um, uh, Whereas Saad, uh, he seems to have been somebody throughout his career where you kind of have to light a fire under him at all times. And uh, you know, he's at his best when he's playing fast, but you can't always get him to play fast. So.
0: Well, I was going to, I was going to add to him. About, you know, there's a couple guys that, like, I don't know if Colton will be as good, but there's a couple examples, one from hockey and one not from hockey, that I think might be an entry that kind of remind me of this situation. Mm-hmm. And, uh, well, the hockey one is uh, John Cooper for the Lightning. Mm-hmm. Because there was a lot of buzz about him when he first, like, he was a different kind of coach and he had the success in, in, like, the AHL and, yeah. you know, he was a young younger coach and stuff like that. And, um, of course, from uh, my standpoint, i if people listening to this don't know, I am a Rams fan. For I was going to say, you're a Rams fan. I wonder where you're going. Yes, because <laughs> the Rams hired a very young coach with limited experience that everyone said was a great uh, communicator, and it's worked out pretty well for them. So yeah. maybe um, maybe those are biasing my, you know, but maybe I'm just too optimistic, but that's what I'm thinking um i i i don't think
1: i think that's very much on the track that the 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 line of thinking that the hawks are on um i we have seen a little bit of a uh trend in the n h l of the coaches are starting to trend younger they're um some of the systems are getting more aggressive um You know, we're seeing more analytics being used. We are seeing, um, you know, the roster constructions change in that, you know, we're not seeing typical fourth liners or no, or no longer seeing any fighters. Um, And we're seeing success from teams who don't really even play with much size. And I, I think will probably represent more that type of thinking than we've seen with, um, you know, with Quenville, where he's always seems to have preferred having maybe not an enforcer, but at least, uh, at least an agitator, somebody like Carcillo or eager or, um, Bolig or, you know, somebody of that nature where, you know, he was, in my opinion, overplaying those type of guys. Um, and I, I think that's one area where, you know, the league probably progressed beyond him, where he was trying to still kind of keep an, an older mindset. And, and honestly, you know, that's not going to make or break a season. You know, having somebody like Brandon Bullock on your team, uh when the rest of your team is fine, you know, isn't, isn't going to kill you.
0: Um, now you see a little bit of that, like, even during the, the games this year where you'd have like, um, an Eddie Olchek going like, they just need a little more toughness. And I'm like, yeah, I don't think that's the problem.
1: No, no, I don't think it is either. Um, although I will say Brandon Bullock, you know, when he used to play for the Blackhawks and I'd hear fans complain and I was just like, uh, you know, Q's not stupid enough to actually play him in the playoffs. It's one thing during the regular season, you know, you play some of these teams and it gets chippy. Uh, it's probably, you know, he's making minimum, the league minimum. It's not going to hurt you to have a guy like that, I guess. If yeah. It makes you feel better. But then, then that one series, he, yeah. he played him in the playoffs. And I'm like, and it, I, I, I want to say it was... I think it was the Coyotes. Uh, was, I, I no, I was it thinking, wasn't the Coyotes. It was it was a series that we ended up winning. I want to say I'm trying to think. Well, he started put Boling in for like two games, and the Blackhawks went down like three to one in the series was until it we finally it, it might have been Nashville. Nashville. Yeah, oh. it might have been Nashville. I don't remember, but then yeah, you know, once he took Boling out, and yeah, you know, there was just some of those things were really stupid. Um, and bothered me I mean you know he benched for Met one year and was putting in plugs like Bolig or somebody in place of him Um, I think he did the same thing to Terravine and that would have been in 2015 obviously Um, and you know he eventually corrected himself and put those guys back in and hey imagine that the Blackhawks ended up winning but um, yeah I mean my my thing with the you know all the Quenville support and the Bowman hating that I've seen over the last couple of days is Q made just as many mistakes as Bowman. It's that the focus is different between a coach and a GM. Uh, when Quenville made mistakes, it might have cost the team a goal or cost the team a game very very rarely does it cost you a season when a coach makes mistakes whereas when a GM makes even a minor mistake it can have ramifications for an entire season or occasionally for multiple seasons um and can even close the window on a championship potentially um and so there's just there's less there's less room for error with a GM and, you know, like I said, Bowman has certainly made mistakes. Um, but, uh, yeah, anyway, uh, we'll, we'll see how it goes. I, I, think, I think Bowman at least gets the next year and a half. Um, Colleton will finish out this season, and then I, I imagine they'll give them next season uh, to see how it's going. And if by that point it's – the arrow isn't pointing up for the Hawks, then I could see uh, Works um, pulling the trigger on, you know, maybe completely cleaning house and getting rid of not only Bowman, but maybe McDonough as well. But we'll see. Uh, I'm sure McDonough might be uh, protected a little bit just because, you know, ultimately he's more business side of things and uh, it's hard to argue with Blackhawks not having a a good business side at this point under McDonough so he might be safe for quite some time but um, yeah I'm I'm very curious to see how the Blackhawks are going to respond uh, tomorrow I guess we're we're recording Wednesday here so Blackhawks will be playing tomorrow
0: Um, you know speaking of that I guess I can Give her a little preview of the upcoming games to finish off. Oh, oh,
1: yeah, look at that segue I gave you, man. That, uh, yeah, perfect. am like, I'm an old Definitely, pro yeah. at this.
0: What are we, five episodes in? That's right. All right, so let's get to it. Like uh, Michael was saying, the Blackhawks play a home game uh, tomorrow, Thursday, at 6.30, um, 7.30 p.m. Central Time against the Carolina Hurricanes. And the Hurricanes started out very good, but... They've kind of, you know, fallen on hard times of late. They've lost at least four straight, I think. Um, Then they go Saturday, they take a little brief road trip uh, to Philadelphia where they play a 12 p.m. Central time game. Aren't those fun? Against the Philadelphia Flyers. And I guess we're going to see Gritty for the first time, so that's something. And then uh, Monday they close out the he closed out the three games this week at Carolina against the hurricane. That game is at 6. PM central time, but they get to face a struggling, uh, suddenly struggling hurricanes team, uh, twice in a couple days, but we'll see.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, uh, some old friends there with Tara Vinen and Scott Darling. Um, I want to say there might even be another one or two guys there. Uh, but, yeah, the, the Hurricanes are a good young team. They haven't quite gotten over that hump. Um, from what I've seen of them, they're a team that seems to get an awful lot of shots. And, ouch, you know, they, they control the puck quite a, pretty well. But a little bit of the uh, issues that the Blackhawks have where, you know, maybe a, too much of their play is on the perimeter – and then uh have occasionally had uh issues with their goaltending um darling was a complete disaster for them last year um and then he started the year uh on IR but uh, he came back uh, i want to say last week um and i think he's had like a good game and a bad game or something like that um but yeah it, it'll be kind of interesting um um, and then the flyers, they're, uh, been a little bit disappointing. Um, I think, I think team, I, I think a lot of pundits had them, uh, as a pretty solid playoff team. And right now they're, uh, kind of floating around 500. Um, again, I think it's, uh, goaltending has been an issue for them. Um, and then, well, I shouldn't even say maybe it has most definitely been an issue for them. Uh, um, Brian Elliott has not played well for them, um, but their their back end is is been underachieving. Um, uh, they got a very young blue line and uh, not not performing uh, up to the standards necessary of a playoff team right now. Um, But they're still dangerous.
0: They should should be exciting games anyway. High score. Yeah, yeah.
1: They they will be games uh, not unlike – I'm I'm not expecting much different than what we've seen in pretty much every Blackhawks game where uh, you're going to see a lot of end-to-end and you're going to see a lot of good chances on both sides. Um, The Blackhawks, uh, you know, we talk about it – The games are always pretty entertaining even when the Blackhawks are on the losing side of things because it's a lot of back-and-forth and and wide-open hockey, and uh, you you can't really say the Blackhawks are boring.
0: Yep. Well, I guess that's a good thing to end it on, and we will see how Colitin
1: Colleton—I'll
0: get his name right eventually.
1: It doesn't roll off the tongue. I've already heard people saying Coach C just because I I don't think they want to say his name.
0: We'll see how the Colleton era goes then. (laughs) Yeah. And um, as always, my uh, Twitter handle is at STH85 and Michael. MJ underscore Ernst. All right. Well, then until next week, uh, let's see how the new era goes. That's right. A lot of talk. We'll have plenty to talk about next week. Yep.